Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Job, the 15th chapter, Job chapter 15. And here we come to the voice of experience again. This is Eliphaz, Eliphaz, the voice of experience. This begins a series of the second and third discourses of all three of these, of uh, Eliphaz and Zophar and Bildad, and this is the second and third series of their discourse to Job, and in this second discourse of Eliphaz, he tells that he's older and wiser, and he's right, and Job is wrong. You know, that, with that kind of an approach, Job didn't have much of a chance, did he? And then when Job answers Eliphaz, well, uh, he tells in time of trouble, Eliphaz is no friend, only a critic. And so that you have the conversation going back and forth between these different individuals. So let's t- take up with chapter 15, if you will, beginning with verse uh, 1. And it says, Then answered Eliphaz the Temanite, and said, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? He's talking about Job, Job and his idle talk. He says, Job, you're, you're just speaking. In the next verse he says, uh, Should he uh, reason with unprofitable talk? And he's telling this about Job. Or with speeches wherewith he can do no good. He's saying, Job, all of your speeches, all of your talk, is just like, uh, in other words, he says, you're a windbag, your, your, your talk is unprofitable. And he says, it won't do any good. And he says, yea, thou castest off fear. Fear is uh, reverence toward God, divine fear and reverence. And look, and he says, restrain us prayer before God. He says, Job, you just quit praying, or I don't believe you pray very much anymore. Have you ever had people say, well, do you ever pray? Well, you know, uh, everyone, every child of God should have a time of prayer and, and have an attitude of prayer and have prayer consistently. Uh, Paul says, pray with what? Without ceasing. And the Christian life is a life of prayer. And many people do not pray in uh, public. Uh, I had a, I've had several gentlemen that I'd ask before. I usually ask them before if I'm not very sure that they don't mind leading in prayer. But I had one gentleman. Well, I'll tell you who it was. Brother Story, you remember? Little old gentleman and real nice fellow. He passed away not long ago. Lived right up across from Brother Walker. And but uh, I asked him if he would uh, mind leading us in prayer in the service. He says, well, Brother Joyce, he says, he says I, I would, but I really don't like to. I like to pray in private. And, you know, I respected that. Some people just feel a little embarrassed about praying in public. That's their business. They don't have to. They don't have to. I never was much of a person to pray in public. And uh, as a result, a lot of people think, well, does Brother Joyce ever pray before he preaches? Well, I'll leave that up to you. But I know what I do. <laughs> and I know there's much of it in there. But anyway, the thing about it is, a lot of people are embarrassed to talk publicly in prayer, and others are not. They, they're good speakers in public. They pray in public, and they have a very much of an influence in their prayers in public. And uh, they can lead you right close to the throne of grace, and uh, you can pray along with them and just feel comfortable in what words they're saying, that it's a part of you. And I love people that can do that, and we respect them. And, but he says, Yea, thou castest all fear and restrainest prayer before God. In other words, thou makest void prayer, for thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest 
The tongue of the crafty. He says, Job, you're very crafty in the way you're talking. Thine own mouth condemneth thee. He says, Job, you're condemned out of your own mouth, and not I. Yea, thine own lips testify against thee. He was really laying the law down to Job, wasn't he? He says, your, your own words have condemned you and testified against you. Art thou the first man that was born? Or wast thou made before the hills? In other words, do you have such wisdom that you're the first man that was born upon this earth? And were you made before the hills? Can you go back to the beginning of God's creation? Were you way back there? Hast thou heard the secret of God? These are all questions. Look, if you look verse 7 and 8, there's two questions. Verse, uh, I mean, verse 7, there's two questions. Verse 8, there's another one. And another one, two more. Hast thou... Heard the secret of God? In other words, do you know exactly what God thinks and what God does? Have you found out all the secrets? And dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? What knowest thou that we know not? To Job, you profess to be real wise. What do you know that we do not know? What understandest thou which is not in us? Well, Job argued with them and he says, you know, he says, I know as much as you fellows do. So they were arguing back and forth, weren't they? Remembering one of the answers that I'm referring to, that Job says, I, I know as much as you do. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 3, he says, But I have understanding as well as you. Look at that. I am not inferior to you. 12, verse 3. Remember 12, verse 1, he says, No doubt, but ye are... Uh, verse 2, he says, but No doubt, but ye are people, and wisdom shall die with you. These, these uh, three friends of Job... Job says, well, when you die, wisdom is going to cease to be altogether. And he says, but I have understanding, verse 3, as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. So now, uh, in chapter 15, verse 9, old uh, Eliphaz says, uh, what knowest thou that we know not? So they're both claiming superior knowledge, aren't they, and wisdom, which is not, uh, what understanding, understandest thou which is not in, in us? You know, it's something when people argue about who's the wisest, that proves that neither one of them are very wise, is what it usually proves. Shakespeare wrote, he said, uh, if I can get it in my mind, he says, show less than thou ownest, and speak less than thou knowest, and pay less than thou owest. <laughs> It might be well if we take some of his, that was his, King Lear's advice to his daughters, I believe. But anyway, that's pretty good. So if we realize that we do not know it all, but we keep our wisdom to ourselves and before the Lord and use it wisely as we have need of it. He says, with us, look at Ola Zophar again, I mean Eliphaz again in verse 10. He says, with us are both the gray-headed and very aged men, much elder than thy father. Look at that claim. In other words, he's saying, because we have all the gray-headed and the aged men, therefore we ought to be wiser than you are. They're elder than thy father, much elder than thy father. Therefore, we should be very wise. Are the consolations of God small with thee? Is there any secret thing with thee? Why doth thine heart carry thee away? And what do uh, thy eyes wink at? That thou turnest thy spirit against God, and lettest such words go out of thy mouth. He's accusing Job of turning himself against God. What is man that he should be clean, and he uh, which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? He says, Job, you claim to be righteous, and what man can be righteous? Job had already admitted that he was not righteous before God, but he maintain that he was doing the right thing before others. He said he wouldn't try to put himself up before God as the, as the perfect man. And yet God said of Job, 
He's a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God in this duty. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints, yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. So Zoph- uh, Eliphaz is telling him how God, uh, how holy God is. He putteth no trust in his saints, and yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water? In other words, man is very sinful. I will show thee, now here verse 17. Here's his voice of experience. I will show thee, hear, hear me. Job, listen to what I have to say now. And that which I have seen, I will declare. You ever seen fellows that just now, give me your attention and I'm going to tell you all about your problem. Just give me your ear. That's what he wanted Job to do. Listen to me now. I'll show you all that I have seen, I will declare. Which wise men have told from their fathers and have not hid it? Unto whom alone the earth was given, and no stranger passed among them. And then he proceeds to dis- describe the wicked man. And he says, The wicked man travaileth with pain all of his days, and the number of years is hidden to the oppressor. It's true that wicked men many times have the conditions that Eliphaz was speaking of, but a lot of good men have them too. See, that's the problem. Just because he describes some things that happen to wicked men doesn't mean that, that the, the righteous or godly men are exempt. So he was taking all these things and applying them to Job and saying, Job, here's where you fit in. Look, here's what happens to wicked men. Well, it's true. A dreadful sound in his ears, in prosperity, the destroyer shall come upon him. He knew Job had lost everything he had. And he says, he believeth not that he shall return out of darkness, and he is waited for of the sword. Remember the enemies that came up against him at the beginning? He wandered ab- wandereth abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knoweth that the day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish shall make him afraid. They shall prevail against him as a king ready to the battle. That's true of the wicked man. But see, uh, Eliphaz was trying to apply all this. You know, even though a man speaks the truth, and he has some true statements, and this is true words, yet... The application of that truth has a great deal to do with it. And what he was doing, he was using all these things and saying, Job, you fit in right here. This is your problem. And he was just laying it down to Job. And then we find in verse uh, uh, 25, for he stretched out his hand against God. Well, Job hadn't stretched out his hand against God and strengthened himself against the Almighty. The wicked do that. Psalm 73 tells you the wicked do these things. He runneth upon him, even on his neck, upon the thick bosses of his bucklers, because he covereth his face with his fatness, and make a collops of fat on his flanks. And he dwelleth in desolate cities, and in houses which no man inhabiteth, which are ready to become heaps. He shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue. You see, he said a lot of things that were just on the verge of saying, Job, here's where you fit in. That's where your wealth, you know, your riches are gone, your wealth is gone. And he says, therefore, you must be what? Wicked. Therefore, you... he was coming to the conclusion that if Job would just apply the, uh, or he was making the implication that if Job would just apply these things to himself, he'd see what, what his situation really was. He shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue. Well, it's true of wicked men. God is able to take their uh, their wealth away, and at the end, they end up in poverty, many of them do. Many wicked men have started out with their wealth and ended up in poverty. But Job started out righteous and ended up in poverty. So you can't just make everything meet everybody's condition, can you? I'm always reminded 
when I come to things like this, and we'll continue in a moment. But I'm reminded of what David said. Now listen carefully. David said, I've been young, and now I'm old. And yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Would you come over there and... Luke's gospel and Jesus tells of a beggar that sat at the feet of the rich man. And when he died, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. So you have two truths there, don't you? You have the truth that even a beggar can be a saint of God and and he seemed to be forsaken of men. He was a blind beggar and he sat at the rich man's table, desired to be fed uh, with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs licked his sores, right? But we find that he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. So we find that that all things have to have their exceptions. Just because uh, uh, a truth is applied to one person in a certain circumstance or situation doesn't mean you take that same situation and apply it, or same uh, uh, judgment or uh, or uh, word of truth and apply it to everyone. It's like the old fellow. There's a little old western town, you know, and there's a guy that had no doctor, and so <clears throat> there's a fellow there says, well, I'll try to do what I can to figure out how to help these people. And so uh, a uh, blacksmith came to him. One of the blacksmiths came and he had a real terrible stomachache and he made up some kind of medicine and gave it to him. Boy, the next day that blacksmith came up and he said, boy, he says, I feel so much better. He says, whatever you fix, this really helped me. So he wrote it down in his little a uh, black book and said, oh, boy, this is good for a stomachache. You know. Next day, the barber had the stomachache. You know, and boy, he fixed up the same thing. The barber killed the barber. He said, he wrote down his book. He said, well, this medicine will cure the blacksmiths, but it'll kill barbers. So you can't apply the same medicine to everybody, can you? And that's what a lot of people try to do with the Bible, don't they? Cures for blacksmiths, but it'll kill barbers. So you never know. You, you better try out the individual situation to make your application, right? And so sometimes we get off on this. Uh, see, he's the voice of experience. And he says, I've seen this happen. Uh, Zophar is, I mean, Eliphaz is the voice of experience. So he's applying all this. Now, verse 29, see, he says, the wicked man, he shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue. Well, Job was, uh, substance didn't continue either, did it? Did it? Neither shall he prolong the perfection thereof upon the earth. He shall not depart out of darkness. The flame shall dry up his branches, and by the breath of his mouth shall he go away. Let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. See, he thought all this had happened to Job, and he had it figured out. It shall be accomplished before his time, and his branch shall not be green. In other words, he'll not prosper anymore. He'll not be fruitful anymore. He shall shake off his unripe grape, shake off his unripe grape, grape as the vine, and shall cast off his flower as the olive. For the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate. Says Job, you must be a hypocrite. He told him that before. And fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. They conceive mischief, mischief, and bring forth, uh, bring forth vanity, and their belly prepareth deceit. Well, now, a lot of things that Zophar said were were true and could be applied to certain situations and certain men in, in certain conditions. But he was applying the, the basic thing here. The thing you have to remember is that he was applying everything that he said to Job. He said, now, Job, here's your problem. And if you'll notice verse 1 of the 15th, it says, Then answered Eliphaz. 
and saith. And he goes on to tell all this to Job. Now, chapter 16, Job answers him. Look at this. Then Job answered. Now, here's Job's answer. And said, I have heard many such things. <laughs> he said, I know what you're talking about. I've heard all this that happens to wicked people. You think I'm, I don't know about this? I know wicked people suffer for their wickedness. And I know they lose it in the end. And I know all this happens. I know. I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. He says, you guys are just miserable comforters. You've told me all these truths and you tried to apply them all to me and my situation. I wish you'd just understand a little bit about me. Verse 3. He says, shall vain words have an end? Will you ever stop talking? Or, look, or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? What has made you so bold is to come up with the, with the answers that you've tried to give me. Look in verse 4. I, this is, I always find this verse amusing. I also could speak as ye do if your soul were in my soul's stead. <laughs> he said, if you were in my place, I could talk like you do. It's pretty easy to talk when you're not the one that's smitten from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet with sore balls, isn't it? <laughs> he said, if you were in my situation, I could talk like you do. I also could speak as you do if your soul were in my soul's stead. I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. You know, it... It's kind of like the old uh, saying concerning scriptural uh, truth back in the book of Exodus. It all depends on whose ox is being gored. Is who, uh, what uh, foot the, uh, uh, the shoe is on. If it's on my foot, it's different than if it's on yours. And so he says, uh, I could speak as you do if your soul were in my soul's stead. I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. But look, he says, but I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. In other words, Job says, if I, if you were in my situation, I'd try to be as sympathetic towards you. Well, they hadn't shown much sympathy towards Job, but he says, I believe that I could show a little sympathy. And I believe Job could have shown some sympathy, in spite of the fact that, uh, that uh, he was uh, well off at the beginning. Had he not undergone any of these things, because Job... Was, a, was an example of patience. And a man that can have patience, as Job had, can have sympathy as well along with it. And he says in verse uh, 6, Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged. He says, You haven't done anything to, to get my grief away from me. And though I forbear, uh, what am I eased? I haven't eased any. I still have all the problems. But now he has made me weary. Thou hast made desolate all my company. Thou hast filled... Me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me. And my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. He says, all this is against me. He teareth me in his wrath. Who hateth me? He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. God did permit Satan to bring these things upon him. I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. His archers compass uh, me round about. He cleaveth uh, my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with... With breach upon breach, and runneth upon me like a giant. I have sowed sackcloth upon my skin, and defiled 
my horn in the dust. My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Now look, he says, not for any injustice in mine hands. He said, I didn't deserve it. Also, my prayer is pure. Zophar said he, uh, no, it was Eliphaz that we just spoke of, said he didn't pray, didn't he? He says, you were restrained from prayer. But he says, also, my prayer is pure. Then he says, O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let not my cry have, uh, and let my cry have no place. He says, if any injustice is done by me, I don't want it concealed, I don't want it hidden. He says, O earth, cover not thou my blood. Also now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. He could look to God's omniscience, God's knowledge concerning his integrity, and he knew God knew what he was really all about. It's one thing to plead your case before me, and it's another another thing to lay yourself open before God and say, I don't want my sins hidden in any way, form or fashion. Just like in uh, Psalm 51, when David was praying, he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And he was praying uh, concerning his sin of adultery and and having uh, uh, Uriah set at the forefront of the battle and had, had him killed, uh, Bathsheba's husband. And uh, all of this, he was praying concerning this, confessing his sin. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. He says, According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. And then he says at one point, I think it's down, down a few verses, he says, uh, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Well, he'd sinned against uh, Bathsheba. He'd sinned against Uriah. He'd sinned against his family. But he considered all sin before God. And he didn't want it hidden. And he says that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. That's David in his prayer. Let's look at this. Job 16 uh, verse uh, 18. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let my cry have no place. Also now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. God can look upon me. My friends scorn me, but mine eye pours out tears unto God. He says, all my friends are talking about me, and they scorn me, but mine eye pours out tears unto God. Oh, that, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth with his neighbor. When a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. In other words, he says, I'm going to die one of these days. And the prospect of death, he said, will deliver me, or will, will finally cease, uh, cause my troubles to cease. And this seemed to be what he was looking forward to. Job kind of wanted to die, really. Job is broken as he passes from one thing to another. And he appeals to God more than to the men that were round about him. And then we find that God, of course, takes care of Job because he had him hedged in. He had a fence built around him before Satan. He says, you can go so far, but don't touch his life. And in the end, Job would be victorious. Look at this now in the 17th chapter. He continues. He says, my breath is corrupt. Uh, my breath is corrupt. My days uh, are extinct. The graves are ready for me. Are there not mockers with me, and doth not mine eye continue in their provocation? This is his friends. They've increased his miseries. Lay down now, put me in a surety with thee. Who is he that will strike hands with me? For thou hast hid their heart from understanding. Therefore 
shalt thou not exalt them. He says that these men didn't have understanding of his situation. He that speaketh flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children shall fall, fail. He hath made me also a byword of the people. He is a despised man. He's a byword to the people. Later on we're going to find where Job speaks of the days when he was generous to other people and tried to give and tried to help. And he says he made the widow's heart to sing for joy. Evidently he ministered and gave freely to those in need. And now he says that I'm just a byword of the people. And aforetime I was a tabret. I was like a musical instrument before. But now I'm just a byword. Mine eye also is dim by reason of sorrow, and all my members are as a shadow. Upright men shall be a stone at this, and the innocent shall stir up himself against the hypocrite. Now Job says, you've accused me of being a hypocrite, but God will really stir up. Uh, the innocent shall stir up himself against the hypocrite. The righteous also shall hold on his way, and he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. But as for you all... Do you return and come now? For I cannot find one wise man among you. It's pretty good, isn't it? He says, you fellas, have, all three of you have had your first turn, and the second turn is coming around. You're still coming on with your second and third uh, argument against me. And he says, I still can't find one wise man among you. My days are past. My purposes are broken off, even the thoughts of my heart. They change the night into day. The light is short because of darkness. If I wait, the grave is mine. He says, the nights are long and the days are short. If I wait, the grave is mine, house. I have made my bed in darkness. I have said to corruption, thou art my father, and to the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? He just about given up hope, hadn't he? They shall go down to the bars of the pit when our, re when our rest together is in the dust. Chapter 18, you're going to find that uh, Bildad again is speaking. Bildad the Shuhite in verse 1. And Bildad shoots his arrows again and even bitter words against poor old Job. He has it coming again. He charges Job with uh, idle and endless talk as Eliphaz had. Look in verse uh, 2 and 3. He takes up the same note as Eliphaz in a sense. In verse 2 and 3, How long will it be ere you make an end of words? He says, Job, won't you finally shut up? Won't you just finally shut up? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. Wherefore are we counted as beasts and reputed as vile in your sight? So he charges Job then to, that he's keeping on with these idle words. Verse 4, He tareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee, and shall the rock be removed out of his place? And from verses 5 on down, he begins to describe uh, the wicked. He gives an entire discourse and an eloquent, elegant description of the wicked man right on down. And a great deal of it's truth, but not true that all of these things would happen to wicked men, because some of them can happen to good men, and it was still applied to Job as very wicked. So beginning with verse 5, he says, Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. Well, that's true. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. But you see, he's still hanging on to the thought that this all applies to Job. The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. And that's true of the wicked. His own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet and walketh upon a snare. The gin 
shall take him by the heel, and the robber prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way. Terror shall make him afraid on every side, and shall drive him to his feet. In other words, he's telling him that uh, God's wrath will be upon the wicked man. His strength shall be uh, hunger-bitten, and destruction shall be ready at his side. It shall devour the strength of his skin, even the firstborn of, of death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. He speak of the wickedness being in darkness in verse 5, disappointed in verse 7, in danger, verses 8 through 10, and the dread, terrors, in verse 11, terror shall make him afraid on every side. Verses 13 and 14, he speaks of desolation. It shall devour, in verse 13, the strength of his skin, and even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, shall bring him to the king of terrors. You know, down in verse 16 through 18, he speaks of despair, and then finally of destruction. Look at this. Verse 15 says, It shall dwell in his tabernacle because it... It is none of his. Brimstone shall scatter upon his habitation. His roots shall be dried up beneath, and above shall his branch be cut off. His remembrance shall perish from the earth. How many of you remember the first psalm? first psalm says what? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Then it says, But the ungodly are not so. I wanted to get back to this. But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Now here's the point. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Look here. Verse 17, his remembrance shall perish from the earth. The way, not only the person, but the very way of the ungodly shall perish. His remembrance shall perish from the earth, and he shall have no name in the street. See, not only the ungodly, but the way of the ungodly. Verse 18, he shall be driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. They that come after him shall be a stone at his day as they that went before were frightened. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked. Now he mentions the wicked in verse 5. Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out. Verse 21, he sums it up. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. Now you see how desperate he was getting to try to find an answer for Job? He says, Job, I guess you don't even know God. Because all of this wickedness, you're reaping all of these things. All of them are applied to you. You see, the application is what was wrong. The truth was there, but the application was wrong. And that's what happens a lot of times when people start quoting Scripture to you. They'll say, well, now, here's where you fit. Well, you better let God do the applying and we do the preaching, right? Because... You know, we don't know where the other person fits exactly. And we can't be judgmental about that. Because a lot of bad things happen to a lot of good people. And uh, that's just a part of life. And so when you start judging by outward appearance, you're doing it wrong. Either in finances or sicknesses or, or uh, tragedies or whatever happens. It doesn't mean that some of them do not happen to people because of their wickedness. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when we start figuring it out and making everything apply, then we're doing wrong. And so that's the wisdom that we need is not to be applying things 
that we don't know for sure. And we preach the word. And if God, by his Holy Spirit, takes that, if, if, if this fellow Bildad was preaching this and, and not trying to apply it to Job, and then if Job says, well, listen, I see some of my situation in here. Had it fit him, it didn't fit him at all. But had it fit him, it might have brought him to the place of repentance. But when you misapply things to people, all it does is disturb them and make them feel worse. And that's what Job was saying. He says, you're miserable comforters. You haven't done me a bit of good. You haven't brought any consolation to me. He says, I could talk too. If, if you were in my place... If you were in my soul's stead, I could talk too like you're talking. Okay, chapter 19 now, Job answers again. Then Job answered and said, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? He said, How long is this going to go on? He says, You just continue comforters? Surely enough. Sure enough. And these comforters just added to his affliction because they were not comforters at all, were they? It'd be something to have a comforter that would be a comforter. I wish these fellows would come up with Job and prayed with him and said, Job, we know that God knows best in your situation, and we'll just pray that whatever it is, he'll help you through it. They didn't come with that attitude. They come with a condemning attitude, and each one of them, each one of them took a different approach to Job. And Job answered and said, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words. These ten times have you reproached me. Yet ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. They, they, weren't, they were not even concerned about uh, making a distance or a gap between themselves and Job. They were not ashamed. And be it indeed that I have erred, my error remaineth with myself. He says, maybe I have erred. Be it indeed uh, that I have erred, Mr. Mark. Maybe I don't thoroughly understand why all this has happened to him. Job was saying, you know, if you're in that condition long enough, you'll begin to think, well, golly, what have I done? Wouldn't you? I'm sure Job was thinking this. He's thinking, well, listen, I certainly don't want to be wrong with God. And he'd pray and he'd say, it is still just really still bad. Have you ever had people that condemn you when you're trying to do your very best and trying to stay right? Well, that's what's happening to Job. He's doing the very best he could and he was under severe affliction and trial. And, and he, he says, well, I'm sure I've sinned. I've heard somewhere. I've missed the mark somewhere. But he says, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed you will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me uh, uh, my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with, this, with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong. Behold, I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He says, I've prayed enough. I've tried to do right. I've cried at about it, cried out. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my paths. You know, we wonder sometimes why God permitted uh, Satan to bring Job under such uh, fire, direct fire, and yet and affliction. But it was for a purpose, and, and as I say, when we get to the end of the book, we'll find out the answer that God says, Job, you're going to have more now because you were patient. And uh, Job finally did see God face to face. He says, and hear him with a hearing of the ear. And he says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. But only because he 
felt God's holiness and his unworthiness. It wasn't because of any particular thing that Job had done. And that's just like Paul when he said, uh, uh, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. And he said, I'm chiefest of sinners and I'm less than the least of all saints as we find him examining himself. And when we examine ourselves before God, we find ourselves very unworthy. Don't we? But all these things these men were accusing him of, he was not guilty of. And uh, just like Isaiah, remember, we quoted it time and again in the sixth chapter. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. He'd been looking at Uzziah, a good king, and his train filled his temple. And he tells of that glorious uh, vision of the seraphim. And each one had uh, six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain they did fly. And he tells of that all the glory of that. And then, it, then he says, woe is me, for I am undone. Well, Isaiah, you're a prophet of God. You've been preaching God's Word and telling Israel about their sins. But he says, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when a man gets a vision of God, and when we, when we get a, an idea of God's holiness, all of us feel very little, don't we? And very sinful. But you see what is happening. Uh, these fellows were telling of God's... Uh, power and uh, glory and majesty and everything and how he would judge the wicked and they were applying all this to Job and Job was in turn now in his answer in verse 9 he says he has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head he recognized that God was doing this and or at least permitting it to be done he has destroyed me on every side and am I gone and my hope hath he removed like a tree he hath also kindled his wrath against me. He hath counted me unto him as one of his enemies. Well, really, God hadn't treated him that way. But Job felt that. It didn't hurt him to feel this way for a little while. Because when God restores him, he's going to see that God was dealing with him. And he was a vessel worthy to be tried in the furnace. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he hath counted me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle. He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are very, verily estranged from me. My kinsfolks have failed, uh, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. His relations and friends were strange to him. They that dwell in my house and my maids count me for a stranger. I'm an alien in their sight. I called my servant and he gave me no answer. I entreated with uh, him with my mouth. In other words, Job couldn't even get one of his servants to answer. Well, it's a sad situation when you have no respect whatsoever, right? No one to give you any attention. And his family was gone and his kinfolks were against him. His friends were against him. Job was down, wasn't he? He says, My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Yea, young children despise me. Even the kids don't like me. Look, I arose and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. Poor Job. Look here. My bone cleaveth... And not only his friends, now he's talking about his very flesh. My bone cleaveth to... Uh, to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity upon me. Have pity upon me. Job is saying, won't somebody show me just a little pity? Oh, ye my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Well, when you're crying out like that and then your friends accuse you. He's, he's begging for pity. 